In this episode of the Boost Health Podcast, you will hear... I think the most important thing is just a reliable bicycle. It doesn't have to be the most expensive bike, just one you're comfortable riding back and forth to work every day. Yeah, that's great. So you were saying to stop faster, you you push your weight back further on the bike? Yes. So actually come off your seat and put your essentially your stomach on your seat. So you push your weight back as far as possible. And then you, you're using your, your front brake, rear brake, probably at a one-third, two-third ratio. And that actually keeps you, uh, you get more weight on your back tire. And so that it's, you're able to stop much quicker than you would otherwise. It, it can't be reactive. It's got to be proactive. So I don't want to honk it just because a driver made me mad. I want to honk it so that, because I see a, something coming up where I need to honk it. I think I would use uh, it uh, just as a officer of the texting police. Like every time I saw somebody <laughs> texting in their car, just nailing with yep. it. Find your balance. 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 Searching for more wellness balance is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 31 of the show. I am Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. I have a bachelor's degree in human biology, a master's degree in business administration, and I've been working in the wellness and fitness industry for over 19 years. On the Boost Health podcast, we cover the entire spectrum of wellness concepts and give you some actionable tips that you can implement in your personal health strategy. My philosophy with this podcast and with Boost Health in general is to be open-minded and try new things. Preconceived notions shouldn't get in the way of wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness tactic that surprised you and how well it worked? Those are what we are trying to uncover here. Thank you all for spreading the word about the show if you think someone might enjoy it. And please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast app and or on the Boost Health Facebook page. Q&A. If you want to ask a question for the show, just click on the green Ask Paul button on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. So here's the listener question for this episode. Paul, I know you recommend a dynamic warm-up versus static stretching before workouts and before sports, but what about cool down afterwards? Is static stretching okay then? And my response is, research continues to show us that static stretching can decrease force production in your muscles, especially if you're holding stretches for over a minute. Now, this is why I recommend a dynamic warm-up before workouts and before sports. For example, do a leg swing to warm up your hips and hamstrings and glutes versus a toe touch and hold. And I cover this in detail with research studies in my article on dynamic warm-up versus static stretching. And I also have a dynamic warm-up video on the Boost Health TV channel. Now we will link to these in the show notes and blog as always. Now, static stretching, however, is still great to do for injury prevention and increased range of motion, but it should be done post-workout. I actually like to combine it with mobility movements as well for my cool down. 
So I'll do things like a squat hold, 90-90 stretch, downward dog, 90-degree arm on wall, etc. All as part of my cool down. And I'm actually going to be making a video for this soon, so I'll keep you posted on when that releases. So that is the answer based on current research. Dynamic before and static after. Again, if you have a question for me, please click on the green Ask Paul button. It's on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. Announcements. Two shows per week? Yes, you heard it here first. You may have noticed shows getting released at a faster rate recently. And I'm pleased that we're getting enough guests and content now that we're going to be able to produce multiple shows per week. And we'll start with two shows and sort of see how that goes. And we have lots of exciting guests coming up. So thank you so much for listening. Boost Health TV. Another exciting new addition to the Boost Health lineup is the addition of video recording of the podcast. I thought it'd be neat when I have a guest live in the room with me to do a video of the show in case folks want to watch us and also gives us the opportunity to do visual demonstrations as applicable, like if we want to show everybody how to do a pistol squat, for example. Now, I finished recording our first show on video a few days ago, and it was with the CEO of a really cool company, so I'll keep you posted on when that is releasing. I think you really like it. Apparel, the Boost Health Performance Apparel Shop is closing on October 16th. So if you listen to this episode, as soon as it's released, you'll have about one day left to order. And in this ordering period, just a reminder, we actually have some really cool new winter pieces since winter is right around the corner. So we have hoodies, arm warmers, long sleeve cycling jerseys, running tights, thermal cycling bibs. We even have this new special black kit. It's called the Secret Boost. It's really cool looking. So all you have to do is click on the shop link on myboosthealth.com to check it all out. Also, listeners of the show can use the code BALANCE at checkout to save 5% off your order. So that's B-A-L-A-N-C-E, like find your balance. Do that code at checkout and you get 5% off. Newsletter. If you haven't already signed up for the weekly Boost newsletter, what's going on? Get with the program. <laughs> uh, it's really easy to sign up for. You just put in your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. This way you don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now on with the program. This is the second part of a three-part series with David Hamby, who I proclaim is the king of cycle commuting. Now, he's been consistently commuting to and from work for nearly eight years. Still amazes me. And he's been doing this in all seasons and conditions. So in this episode, David and I are actually going to discuss bike handling skills, all the most important gear for bike commuting, air horn traffic control, and the texting police. Okay, here is part two with David Hampy. And I would also just suggest uh, learning or improving your bike handling skills. Uh, there's mm. days where they're very important. So uh, that means stopping quickly. Know how to put your weight back on the back of your bicycle so you can stop quick and not go over your handlebars. Um, also know how to make a quick turn. So evasive maneuvers are, are critical for potholes or even vehicles turning in front of you. So just a quick example that I learned in, in that class I was telling you about. To make a quick turn to the right, you actually flick your handlebars to the left which establishes a lean, and then you can turn your handlebar to the right and take even a quicker turn. So just little skills like that um, make it very important and, and actually make you a safer rider. Yeah, that's great. So you were saying to stop faster, you, you push your weight back further on the bike? Yes. Yeah, so actually come off your seat and put your essentially your stomach on your seat. So you push your weight back as far as possible 
and then you you're using your your front brake rear brake probably at a one third two third ratio, and that actually keeps you uh, you get more weight on your back tire, and so that you're able to stop much quicker than you would otherwise. That's a that's a good tip. I'll remember that the next time uh, a taxi pulls out in front of me. <laughs> definitely, definitely, it's a good one. So, and the, the last thing I have is um, kind of a preference, but I think it works for me. Uh, look like a commuter, not a recreational cyclist on your ride. Mm-hmm. So, I think if other people see that you're riding to work every day, it's different than you just going out for a spin around the neighborhood or around the block. So, um, I, I think they can tell that I'm not necessarily out for a ride and. And you establish that over the, the years and weeks that you, you ride. You'll see the same people on the same routes. And so I think they recognize that. And then I feel like they, they respect you more because uh, you have that established, that rapport established. That's really good. I mean, because you're really sort of the poster child for for cycle commuting after you've done that for years and years. And so, you know, you don't know it, but maybe somebody that's driving past you in a car every morning or walking their dog is, might be interested in cycle commuting. And so if you're putting your best foot forward and being potentially a good mentor for that person, even if you don't know about it, that that really can make a big difference in somebody's life. Okay. Yeah. And that was my last tip. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was looking up some tips too. Um, Global Cycling Network, who I'm sure you're familiar with and a lot of our listeners are familiar with, had some tips. And it's interesting because there's a lot of crossover with what you mentioned. I'll just rattle them off real quick. Um, so one thing that you said uh, was leave uh, you leave a lot of, at work, um, including your vehicle. Um, so that was one thing that they suggested is leave as, as much at work as you can. And that's partly to do with um, how much weight you're, you're carrying on your back as well. So if you've got a a laptop or um, other gear from work. If you can leave it at work, that's obviously better just to make your commute back and forth a little lighter. Um, I thought this one was pretty cool. So uh, it's a dress shirt hack, if you will. So if you're uh, wearing a fold down button shirt, you can actually um, fold or fold it around a magazine. Um, so you button it up and then you fold it around a magazine and then you put it in um, uh, plastic bags. And so if you do happen to ride through um, some rain, it'll stay uh, unwrinkled and unwet. <laughs> it'll stay dry for you. So I thought that was a pretty good one. And, uh, and it looks nice and snappy when you get to work. Um, or if you're like Dave, you just have all your stuff ready for you to, to change into, which I think is a great idea too. Um, one that they suggested I thought was great is cycling with a friend or a colleague. So if you can convince uh, maybe a friend that works close by uh, or lives close to you that you can ride part of a route together, I think that would be really neat. Or if you know, ideally, if you could uh, meet a colleague along the way and ride into work together, I think that's a really neat thing too. Obviously, Dave, you're super disciplined and um, you don't necessarily need somebody to keep you going, you know, from a mentor's perspective, but having uh, for somebody that's just getting started or somebody that needs that meeting points to, to get somebody out there, a friend or a colleague might be, might be helpful. Uh, waterproof gear is a must uh, pretty much anywhere in the world um, just to cover up whatever you have underneath and keep it dry, keep yourself dry. Um, and we talked about this already too, we sort of danced around it, but, you know, respecting your work colleagues. So if you don't have a shower or time to shower, doing um, your ride in in the morning at an easier pace. And like Dave was saying, this is a really good point. You know, it can just be your zone two work. If you're trying to improve your overall cardiovascular fitness, you need to train your different energy systems. So doing your ride in in zone one, zone two and ride home a little harder is perfect. 
Um, and then the last one um, that I thought that was interesting that they suggested was varying your speed and cadence and route just to keep things interesting and in improving your overall fitness, which I think Dave, you alluded to as well. So somebody that's maybe already cycling, um, that's interested in getting started or somebody that's never cycled before, I, I think this would be good for both of them. What do you think is the most essential, the best cycling equipment for, for commuting, including the, the type of bike? So the type of bike I use is, uh, I guess, a cyclocross bike, gravel bike. And the reason I go with that is it's kind of a road bike setup, but it has a wider front fork. And so that allows me to change my tires if I need to, depending on the weather. And so I can put on smooth, smooth tires during the, the summer when everything's in pretty good shape, or I can put in uh, uh, different type of tires during the winter. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in a few minutes as well. But I think so... The uh, I think the most important thing is just a reliable bicycle. It doesn't have to be the most expensive bike, just one you're comfortable riding back and forth to work every day. And so uh, I'm I'm lucky that I have multiple bikes, and so if I need to switch out, I can. But I've got one that's designated my commuter, and I'll kind of list why that one's my commuter as I list through my equipment that I've got on it. So um, another another thing, it doesn't have to be real expensive, and actually it's probably cheaper than uh, most cycling clothes. Is just high visibility cycling clothes. Um, I wear generally uh, fluorescent yellow or some other bright colors. And so I want to be seen. I, I want people to see me. And so that's why I wear those. And generally, those are almost your least expensive amount of cycling clothes is just the plain yellow or fluorescent yellow green uh, cycling clothes. And then uh, I have a helmet I wear frequently. And I, I use one that's a mountain bike helmet. And it has a visor on it. And that helps also keep uh, some of the sun off my um, eyes or out of my eyes. And then if it's raining, it keeps the rain out of my glasses as well. So, and then as far as glasses, I wear uh, photochromic glasses. So they're auto, uh, auto darkening. And so I can wear those uh, in the morning when it's dark or at night when it's dark or during the day as well. They don't get as dark as full uh, dark sunglasses that you typically see, but uh, they work well for me and they allow me to, to not have to worry about bringing two pairs of glasses wherever I go. Oh, that's good. That's a good tip. And on my helmet, I have a rear view mirror that I use. And so I use that to watch the traffic uh, behind me so I can see somebody's approaching, you know, with their right turn blinker on, then uh, that's something I need to be aware of as well. And so it allows me to be more aware of the traffic around me. And that's something I've uh, I've used pretty much ever since I've been uh, cycling commuting. And they've made those. I've seen they've made those a little bit more streamlined now. Like in the old days, it was pretty much like a big old bar that stuck out, <laughs> you yes. know, and you're yeah, yeah. having traffic slam into it as they drive by. Whereas now it's the, they're a lot more low profile. Yeah, I use a little one that's about the size of a nickel and it just sits right on my helmet. It's adjustable. So it uh, it's not real visible, but it really helps me uh, know what's going on. Around oh, that's me. great. I didn't know they made them that yeah. small. That's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice. Then one of the things I, I it's, it's just kind of a tracking element, again, the engineer in me, but my Wahoo uh, element bike computer. That's one I've uh, got recently, probably three or four years ago now. And I really enjoy that and uh, the apps associated with it. So it automatically uploads my ride to Strava and Training Peaks and uh, just does that automatically. I don't even have to think about it. So that's a, that's a really nice uh, added benefit, if you will. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that for a second, because I was one of those guys that I, I've had a Garmin watch forever, and I just always used my Garmin watch, and it worked fine. 
were totally fine for uploading to Strava and, you know, I could look down and see my speed and all that stuff. Um, but to have a heads up display, even if you're not going out to crush a segment on Strava or something, just to have a heads up display of what your speed is, what your heart rate is, is really, really nice without having to always look down at your, at your watch. And something I really like too about these bike computers is if you pause, um, which you're likely to do, especially on a commute at a red light or a stoplight, or you're yielding or need to stop and do something on your bike, it, they'll automatically pause for you. Whereas on a watch, you have to stop and think about, and I can't tell you how many epic bike rides I've been on where I forgot to restart my, my watch. Oh yeah. So these computers just, they understand what, what, zero is on your speed and they'll just pause whenever you stop or go below a certain level. So anyway, they're, they're really nice to have a, a heads up display and you should treat yourself to one. If you know, you're going to be commuting off and uh, they're really pretty nice to have. I agree. And it, uh, the Wahoo actually has a, a five LEDs on the left side that tell you your heart rate zone, if that's how you want it to do it. So oh, I can just nice. get a visual of how many LEDs and what zone I'm in. And that's pretty handy to see if, if it goes up to four or five, I'm, I'm really working hard. So yeah, that's a great little idea. I like that. And so the other, uh, another important part of that I have is uh, I run a Saigo Light Metro headlight, and that's uh, 850 lumens. But the thing I like about it the most, I don't run it on my high uh, very often, but during the day, what I it has a day lightning feature, so it's one of the uh, the mode that I use the most. So it's actually daytime visible, and it's like a, a lightning flash every two or three seconds. And that helps the uh, drivers see me. I, I know I'm much more visible with that flashing than I am otherwise, because it's visible for half a mile to a mile at least. And so that helps. And then it also has a feature that I use at night. It's called Steady Pulse. And so instead of just having a steady um, headlight at night, it actually has a steady light, but it has a pulse that, that flashes in addition to the steady pulse. And so it's not blinding like a strobe light, but it has that pulse that has as a driver approaching, they see, hey, there's something different with that headlight. And it grab, grabs their attention and helps them to, to see that. Because a lot of times, just a single headlight gets ignored, with whether it's a street light or something else that, that blends in. And that's a really, really good tip um, if you're going to be commuting. to. It's not about necessarily what you can see. It's almost as much more about being seen. Right. Right. So that, just as part of that, I assume that drivers can't see me or they're trying to hit me. So those are <laughs> right. the two options there. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, well put. Uh, so, you know, that's the front cover. Now, the rear coverage, I've got a, actually, I like the Psycholite Hotshot Pro. And I have the 150 lumen and the 100 lumen. And the 150, I mount on my rear rack. And the 100 lumen, I actually put on the back of my helmet. So I have two flashing uh, rear lights that are uh, also daytime visible. And so there, I've had people stop me and say, "What what kind of headlight is that? Or what kind of tail light is that?" So uh, that that tells me that they're they're seen. Yeah, and I just want to mention too, we'll we'll put links out to all the stuff that we're mentioning in the show. So if people are interested to to check it out, they can they can see it in the show notes and and blog as well. And then um, also another front. So I have two two lights in the back and two lights in the front. And I I put a flashing white light, a little flashing white light on top of my helmet. And that is aimable because I, it goes where I look. And so rather than just being straightforward, if a car mm. is approaching from my right, I can I can turn my head and make sure I see that light flashing in their in their face and make sure they see me or, or at least make sure they're looking for me. And so that's not as bright as a headlight, but it does gain attention as well. That's a good idea. 
And then each of these lights I mentioned, they're all USB rechargeable. And so that's something that, you know, even a few years ago, you didn't have that option. And now if I need to recharge a headlight or a, uh, a taillight, I can just do it while I'm sitting at my desk uh, at work. So it's easy to recharge. I'd recommend that really for all of your lights. That's a good point. Yeah, you can just plug it right into the USB receptacle, even if you just <laughs> are plugging into your computer. Uh, and of right. course, nowadays they have um, these plugs that, you know, you can put four or even six different USBs in and you can just have one of those by your desk and pop them all in. That's a good point to, to recharge it while you're at work, though. I like that. Yeah. And then one of the more unusual pieces of equipment I have on my bike that uh, is, I, I think, a very important piece and been very useful. And that's my it's called Air Zound Air Horn. So it's a 115 decibel air horn which is uh, has a little horn on the on the uh, handlebars, has a air tank that I mount on the bike, and it's it's super loud. Wow. And it's just rechargeable using a standard bike pump, so you just pump it up, and it holds, uh, I've got either 80 to 100 pounds of pressure in it. And it's uh, definitely enough to wake a driver up that's not paying attention or get an animal <laughs> out of the way as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's true, too. I mean, we, we have wildlife, especially early in the morning, so... Now, have you had to use that fairly often? How how many times in eight years would you say you fired that bad boy off? So when I first got it, I, you know, I, I like to use it, but you've got to be <laughs> right. It, it can't be reactive. It's got to be proactive. So I don't want to honk it just because the driver made me mad. Mm -hmm. I want to honk it so that because I see a, something coming up where I need to honk it. Uh, so again, it's just uh, a matter of. For example, if somebody approaches me on my right and they look like they're getting ready to move, I'll mm -hmm. honk it just to make sure I get their attention. I think I would use uh, it uh, just as a officer of the texting police. Like every time I saw somebody <laughs> texting in their car, just nailing with yep. it. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, it's easy to use, but... Uh, Again, I have to I have to restrain myself from using that. <laughs> right. It's probably good it uh, runs out of air at some point, right? Because it, it could be used uh, many times on a ride. It, it does. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could actually be used quite a bit of time. I really, really am a, a big fan, and I've actually have um, uh, two of them on my bikes now. So they're they're nice to have. Oh, cool. And so uh, one of the th other things that talking about bike itself, I put a front fender on, and that that keeps the uh, the snow and the rain from bouncing up onto your, your shoes and your legs as much. doesn't keep it all off, but definitely minimizes that. So that's an important part of, of uh, riding as well. And then, as I mentioned before, I have a trunk bag, but I put that on a rear rack, and that actually serves as a, a rear fender for me as well. So uh, that keeps some of the, the rain and, and sand and you know water from washing up on my backside as well. One of the, uh, the neat things I found that I put on my bike, so I like to be seen, as I mentioned before, um, I have some fix, they're called FIKS, fixed reflective wheel stripes. And those are uh, reflective, 3M reflective stripes that fit around your rim. And they sit on the, uh, essentially a braking surface. I've got disc brakes, so I don't have a braking surface, but they sit right around there. So you put them on each, each of the four wheel surfaces, and that makes you a whole lot more visible from the side. Oh, nice. And I've, uh, yeah. And so I've, I've took, and I bought a pack of the red and bought a pack of the white. And so I actually alternate colors. They have multiple colors. Uh, white's obviously the most visible, but uh, I, I do a red-white pattern around each of the, the wheels so you can see some movement associated with that. Oh, yeah, that's but, a good idea. Yeah, so that, that helps me uh, when I'm, helps me be more visible at night if I'm riding in traffic. And then uh, my last piece of equipment that I use, uh, 
anytime it gets dark is my reflective vest. So I wear a reflective vest that uh, helps me be more visible. And that kind of uh, matches my, I wear, wear reflective ankle bands as well, which the key at night is making sure that drivers don't just see a reflective surface, they also see movement. And so put something on your legs, your ankles, your shoes, so they can actually see the movement associated with your bike. So uh, that's important as well. So that's that's my list of equipment. Uh, well, except for one thing, I forgot my, uh, so during the winter, I actually uh, put on uh, studded tires. So they're carbide steel studs. There's about a hundred, I think, on each wheel. And that that's what I use when it gets icy. Uh, a lot of times we'll have extended periods of cold and, and sometimes the snow will melt a little bit during the day and then freeze up at night. And so when I ride to work in the morning, there's patches of ice around. And so that's kind of a little bit extra of insurance. Uh, you can't necessarily go and, and 15 miles an hour and take a turn and not expect to go down. But if you take it cautiously, it'll help you uh, maintain your uh, stability and keep you from crashing. Just to give you a little example of how wet works, I was riding to work one morning and it had um, done some freezing drizzle. And so all the road surfaces were coated with ice. I was riding along and then I get to the uh, traffic signal and I stop and I put my foot down and it slides out from under me. And so I didn't know it was that slick until I actually put my foot down. Wow. Because the tires were we're holding me up that well. Yeah. You know, so, I remember my dad would always tell me <clears throat> when I was first learning to drive, I had a big truck and he said, uh, you know what they make ice hockey pucks out of, don't you? And I said, yeah, rubber. And he's like, exactly. It, do it doesn't matter if you have this big truck with big tires on it. If you're getting on ice in just a rubber tire, it's not going to matter. So to your point, having those uh, studs on there really sounds like it makes a big difference then. It does. It, de it definitely makes a difference, and it helps me feel a little safer in riding. Uh, snow, not as much, because some snow is a lot softer, but uh, they're also uh, pretty knobby tires as well. So they've, they've been a good investment. Well, I hope everybody was taking notes on those, because this is, you know, that is a lot of, that's eight years of cycle commuting and trial and error, and we're also talking to an engineer here. So <laughs> I think it's it's valuable, um, the, the tools that you use, and we're talking about all weather. I think we mentioned this in, at the beginning of the show, but Kansas, you get the full spectrum. You get rain, you get snow, you get sleet, you get hot, you get cold. So it's, you know, this Dave's a really, really good person to to talk to and to, to learn from if you're interested in cycle commuting year-round, especially in a place that, that has the, the elements. I do want to say, you know, if you're somebody that lives fairly close to work, um, you do need some basics like a helmet and, and some lights. Um, but, you know, there's, you shouldn't be shied away. You know, there are people like I know in Copenhagen, it's really common. People get on the bike in their full suit and they have a coffee in one hand and, you know, they're just leisurely pedaling in and not getting sweaty. And so and obviously on a nice day. So it, it, you can even have that piece of it too, where if you're not going to do it year round, you could even do it, you know, a couple of days a week where it's really nice outside where you don't have to maybe travel that far. And it, it doesn't have to be all the crazy gear as well. We're just sort of giving you the, the full range of it, it can be done in anything as well. So obviously you've got some practice. Um, after all your years of doing this, you've got a really, really good set of gear prepared for anything, but there's still some planning that's required. And you've alluded to this a little bit already, but I'd like if you could share sort of what your night and morning routine is, including of including, you know, your cycle prep to, to make sure you have what you need for the next day. Okay, we will stop there for part two with a cliffhanger for part three. Now don't miss the third and final episode with David as he and I discuss how to get started 
with cycle commuting, his night and morning routine to prep for and execute a successful commute. If he's burned out on cycle commuting after eight years, the most challenging part of clothing to figure out with weather and how David finds his wellness balance. Make sure to check it out. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. Also, thank you very much to my friend David Hamby for joining the show today. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in your favorite podcast app. You can follow my workouts and Boost Health updates on Strava, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for My Boost Health. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. And until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for David Hamby saying goodbye and find your balance.